0: Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will be in verses 21 through 28 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's start in verse 21. until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are, are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. Oh God, on Easter Sunday, we have high expectations from your word today, and Lord, I pray that your word would make Jesus clear, would make Jesus convincing, and would make Jesus compelling for the glory and beauty of his name. Amen. Well, like many of you, every spring, my wife and I do a little bit of some spring cleaning where we look at the outside of our house, we look at the inside of our house, and we determine what needs some cleaning, what needs some attention. And inevitably, almost every year, what seems to need the most attention is my closet. Now, I'm not a messy person by nature, but things just kind of pile up in my closet. And I remember a few years ago, my wife came to me and said, Hey, Chris, um, I think I'm going to organize your closet today. And little did I know that the word organize was code for something else. And uh, I said, Okay, honey, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, you can, you can help me out that way. And, uh, and so I went off to work and came back that day. And she said, Chris, like your closet looks incredible. Come look. And so I go to my closet and it looked fantastic. I mean, I could, ab- I could actually see the bottom and the floor in my closet for once. She did a great job. And, uh, and a few days later, I was looking for my favorite T-shirt. And, uh, and I couldn't find it. And, uh, and so I went to Lindsay and I said, Hey, ha- have you seen my favorite T-shirt, the one I, I work out in? And she said, Oh, the one that's like 15 years old and, and has holes in it? And I said, Yeah, I love that shirt. That shirt is so comfortable. I've had it for so long. And she said, oh, yeah, I threw that out. And uh, I said, you did what? She's like, yeah, I threw that out and rearranged some other things and threw out some, some old T-shirts that, that needed to be thrown out. And, uh, and that opened up just a very healthy marital discussion that day. <clears throat> and the point of me sharing that story this morning is, is not to, to have a sermon on how to have a healthy marriage or uh, conflict resolution, But the point of me sharing that story is to ask you this question Does God have full access to your life today? Does God have full access to every arena, every area of your life today? And not does God have permission to kind of organize your life to to make it look a little bit more religious or to make it look a little bit more pretty on the outside? But does God have the kind of access to your life where he can rearrange whatever he wants, where he can throw out things in your life, whatever he sees fit? Does God have that kind of access to your life today? And what I want us to see this morning from our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is that if we have the correct understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will lead us to living a life where God has that kind of access to our life. If we really understand what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did in his resurrection, we will live our lives just submitting every area of our life to him. And so what I want us to see this morning, maybe more specifically, is my hope and my prayer is that we would see the beauty of Jesus today. That we would see the beauty of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, what he accomplished in his resurrection to such a degree that we would walk out of here with hearts filled with joy, hearts filled with thankfulness, and hearts that are filled with that joy that lead to transformation. That we would live lives of submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords because of what Jesus has done in his resurrection. And so as we move through our passage today, I'm going to highlight just four aspects of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I see in our passage this morning. First, we'll look at the promise of the resurrection. And second, we'll look at the order of the resurrection. And then the third, we'll look at the victory. And then lastly, we'll look at the ultimate goal of the resurrection. So that is where we are headed. So Paul, here in 1 Corinthians, is writing to a church that is struggling not only with immorality, not only struggling with division and with rivalries, but this church in the first century located in Corinth was struggling with wrong doctrine, that there are people in this congregation that were failing to understand what the church should be like, how the church should function, That there were people in this congregation that had this misunderstanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had all kinds of crazy ideas as it related to the resurrection. That some believed that the resurrection had already occurred, and so that they were living in their perfected state in the present, also known as having kind of an over-realized eschatology. And then there were others who believed that the resurrection will never happen and so for them, if the resurrection is not going to happen, then they're just going to live it up. They're going to live kind of to the fullest then and there, kind of their version of YOLO, where you only live once. And then there are others of people in this congregation who were honestly wrestling with the question, okay, if Jesus did raise from the dead, then what does that mean for me? What does that mean not only for me in the present, but what does that mean for me in the future with my own resurrection? That if that is true, then what kind of impact should that have on my life? So this chapter that we have before us, chapter 15, is, I would argue, one of the most important and foundational chapters in all of the New Testament. That Paul walks through with the Corinthians, why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so central and so important to Christianity. He talks about that because the resurrection is true, it changes everything. Not only for the future, but it changes everything here and now in the present. And so let's take a look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, the promise. The promise. Look with me at verses 21 and 22. It says, For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now in these two verses, we, we see Paul beginning to lay out his argument for the future resurrection of those who are in Christ but have died. And if you notice, you see that there's a promise here that, that Paul lays out, that those who are saved and yet pass away, there will be a future resurrection for them. Look at verse 22. It says, For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive, that all those in Christ, all those that are saved, shall be made alive, that this will happen. Isn't this a glorious promise for us who are in Christ, that this current life isn't all that there is, that there is a future resurrection for those who are in Christ. But why is Paul so confident here? Why does he lay this out here, and what impact does it have for us in the presence? Well, if you notice Paul's logic in these verses, he, he starts talking about Adam. And at first glance, you, you start to think, okay, what does Adam have to do with, with the resurrection and with Jesus' resurrection? Well, what, what Paul is trying to do here is he wants us to understand that because of Adam's sin in the garden, something we read about in Genesis 3, death is a reality for us all. That Adam in the garden, he represented all of humanity. That he did what any of us would have done. And because of that, death entered the world. That's why Paul says in verse 21, For as by a man, referring to Adam, came death. But then he says that by a man, referring to Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. So if you follow Paul's train of thought here, he says because Adam represented all of humanity, and because of his sin, we will experience death, then because of Jesus and his resurrection, we who are in Christ will also experience our own future resurrection. See the connection there. And so even though, because of our sin, we're unable to save ourselves, that we are dead in our sins, Jesus, through his resurrection, is able to make us alive in him. So Paul's intent here is to show that though Adam brought death, Jesus brings life and reverses what Adam brought into the world, death. Another implication I want us to see this morning in these verses is the clear line that is drawn between Adam and Jesus, that you are either in Adam or you are in Christ, that you are either spiritually dead in your sin or you are spiritually alive in Jesus. That there's no middle ground. There's no kind of being on the fence. There's no third category that scripture provides for us. That you are either saved and in Christ or you're not. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 2 verse 1. He says, and you, he's talking to Christians here, were, past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. So, Paul says, You were once dead in your sins. You were once in Adam. But then he says in verse 5 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, He says, Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together in Christ. So, this morning, you are either dead in your sins in Adam or you are alive in Christ. And have you ever stopped to wonder, Which one am I? Have you ever just stopped and thought, Okay. Am I in Adam? Do I trust in myself for salvation? Or am I in Christ? And what that means is that you have transferred your faith and your trust away from yourself and onto the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. And so have you made that decision today? Have you made that decision over the course of your life to be in Christ by trusting him and him alone with your salvation and the reason why that's so important is because as we read this passage, we're, we're almost meant to, to read these verses and say, "I want that future resurrection. I want that future where I'll be raised up and seeing God in His glory in heaven one day, that we're meant to, to yearn and to long for that day, and yet the only way that that will happen is if you are in Christ, if your faith is upon Jesus and Jesus alone. In fact, Paul, throughout the rest of this passage, will show us that if you are truly in Christ, then your life will show evidence of that reality. Namely, that God will have full access to every arena of your life. And so we have this promise of our own resurrection. Number two, we see the order of the resurrection, the order of the resurrection in verses 23 and 24. He says this, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And in these two verses, which is really just one long sentence in the Greek, we see the order of events that leads to the end that at the end, we see two things will happen, that Christ will hand over the kingdom to God the Father, and two, we see that he will bring an end to the spiritual satanic powers and rulers and authorities, that this will happen at the end. But before the end, we see two events happen in order. That first, we see Jesus' resurrection, which has already happened, happened 2,000 years ago, and second, that all who belong to Jesus will be resurrected at his second coming. So, this word, first fruits, if you're wondering what that is referring to, Paul says in verse 23 that Christ as the first fruits, this functions as a metaphor for the first of the harvest, serving as kind of like a, a guarantee for the full harvest. That Jesus was first resurrected and now those in Christ will also be raised from the dead. So it's like a a down payment as a guarantee for the rest of us who are in Christ to be raised from the dead as well. And so just to put simply, that there's an order of the resurrections, that Jesus's has already happened, and then second, that we who are in Christ will also be raised in him at his second coming. And again, the reason why this is important, the reason why Paul is spelling this out is because people in Corinth at this time just had this misunderstanding of the resurrection. Again, there were some who thought that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. Then there was others that thought that the resurrection had already happened. And so the reason why this is so important is because if you don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead, you're going to live for yourself. You're just going to live it up. You're going to live in sin. And two, if you believe that your own resurrection has already occurred— then you're going to live much differently than what Scripture has prescribed for believers to live like. And so it's really important that we understand the order of the resurrection. The third aspect that I want us to see this morning as it relates to the resurrection is the victory, the victory of the resurrection. This is honestly, this is my favorite part of the passage, if I can have that as a pastor. Verse 25 and 26, read with me. It says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, Paul tells us that Christ not only will defeat the satanic powers and rulers and authorities, but through his resurrection, he has set into motion the final destruction of death. That Paul stresses the reality of Jesus' rule and reign will continue and must continue until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy is death. That death will be destroyed. That here we have the death of death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, in a sense, death has already been destroyed through the resurrection of Christ. That Paul, what Paul is getting at here is the timing of the totality of death will happen in the future when Christ comes back. And notice the language that Paul uses in these verses. He talks about Christ reigning. He talks about enemies. He talks about them being destroyed. That Paul highlights the victory and the triumph of Jesus Christ. And honestly, I mean, this is, this is why we make Easter such a big deal. This is why we celebrate Easter with such joy and such assurance and with such confidence because we know what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That Jesus on the cross paid our penalty. That he paid the debt that we created in our sin. That Jesus became our substitute, got up on a cross, and died the death that was intended for us to die. Jesus did that. The perfect Son of God died for you. That he died in your place. And not only that, but he absorbed all of the wrath of God that was intended for us. Jesus absorbed all of it in our place. That's why we sing that great hymn. There's a line in there It says, in our place condemned he stood. And on the cross, Jesus uttered those three simple but incredible and powerful words he said it is finished and what he meant by that is that our past our present, and our future sins have been paid for and so there is no more wrath left that Jesus absorbed all of the wrath on the cross there's no more wrath left for those who are in Christ that we can enjoy a life of forgiveness a life of grace because of Jesus And yet not only that, not only do we make the death of Christ such a big deal, but his resurrection, that Jesus in his resurrection shows his victory over death, over sin, and over our enemy Satan. That in his resurrection, Jesus holds the keys of victory over them. That sin could not touch Jesus. That Satan could not defeat him. That death could not hold him down. We have a King Jesus who is victorious, and who has won. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we make such a big deal about this day, because of what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection. That's why Paul, later on in this chapter in verse 55, writes this. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus has won. Look, this is really, really good news for us. That the tomb is empty. That Jesus raised to life 2,000 years ago. And the reason why that's so significant, the reason why the fact that the tomb is, em- is empty is so amazing for us, is because the tomb is empty, Jesus is able to forgive us of our sins. That Jesus has the power to look at you, to look at me, to look at our lives, and declare your sins are forgiven. Isn't that an amazing reality? That, that because Jesus conquered death, sin, and the enemy, and because he raised back to life, he can look at you and say, your sins are forgiven. That he doesn't shy away from our sins. He's not afraid of our sin. He's not overwhelmed at our sin. There's nothing in our lives that he looks at and he says, oh, that, that's too big for my grace. That, that, that's just too much for my forgiveness. No, no, Jesus accomplished all of that on the cross and in his resurrection so he can look at you and say your sins are forgiven for those of us who place our faith upon him. And that is really, really good news. And yet not only that, but let me, let me just make this a little bit more personal for us this morning not only did jesus through his death and through his resurrection is he able to offer forgiveness of our sins is he able to offer his righteousness but his resurrection enables us not to hide anymore that his resurrection enables us not to not to pretend like we don't have sin in our life that his resurrection enables us not to hide our sin not to pretend to be something that we are not not to fake being good, but in his resurrection, Jesus exposes us for who we really are, that he went to die because he knows our sin. He knows everything about us. He knows every secret, every shameful act, every shameful thought. And so there's no reason for us to hide our sin with God. He already knows and he already paid for it. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ enables us to be honest about where we are, to actually own our sin, to own our shame, to own our guilt, to declare to God, God, I'm a sinner. You know that already. God, I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of your forgiveness and your grace. See, it it actually enables us to, to be transparent and to be open and to be honest with God about where we are rather than trying to cover it up or to hide behind our own accomplishments, rather than trying to hide behind our successful careers, rather than trying to hide behind how much money we make, rather than trying to hide behind being liked by everybody or being a good parent or or fill in the blank for whatever it is in you, in your life, that you hide behind, Jesus exposes all of that on the cross and we can come to him And we can say, God, I need your grace. I think part of the reason why we, we hide our sin, why we're not just so honest with God about our sin, is because far too often we forget that God loves us. I know it sounds simple, but it's so easy to just take God's love for granted, to not look at the resurrection, to not look at the death of Christ, and to see the great length that God went through to to demonstrate his love for us. It's so easy to just think about that on Easter and Easter alone. And so God's love can almost become this cliche in our lives, where God's love just kind of fades into the background of our lives, and we forget to meditate upon his love for us. I remember for me, when I when I was growing up as a kid, I was just utterly obsessed with basketball. Like basketball was like my thing. I loved the NBA. And if you, if you looked at my room growing up, I had these posters of the great professional basketball players of, of the day. I had this huge poster of Michael Jordan, this big poster of, of Shaquille O'Neal and, and Kobe Bryant. And the first couple of days I had those posters up, I thought it was such a, such a big deal like, I love those posters. I walk in and be like, hey, MJ, how's it going, Shaq? Like, it was such a big deal for me. And then after a couple days and a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you know, I just walk in my room, and, and I would honestly just forget that they're there. Like, those posters would just blend into the background of my room. You know, until I had, like, a friend who and and he'd come in, and, and he'd be like, oh, man, those are sweet posters. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, those are great. I forgot about those. See, those posters in my life, they, they just became a cliché. They just faded into the background of my life. And I, and I just wonder, could it be true that, that God's love has faded in the background of your life today? That has God's love just almost become this cliché in your life where you're not rehearsing the truth of God's love. You're not remembering. You're not feeding your soul that reality. and It's just become this cliché. See, I, I think we understand that God loves the world. Like we all know John 3.16, okay? We, I think we understand God loves the whole world. And I think, I think we understand that God loves his people, that God loves his church, right? But to take it even a step deeper, and more specifically, that God loves me, like that is a whole nother level, that God loves you today. God loves you this morning. And and it's the you that's sitting in that seat this morning, the the you that's filled with all kinds of doubts and issues and sin and temptation. God loves that kind of you, not some future cleaned-up version of yourself. He loves the you that's sitting in that seat right now this morning. That God, the perfect God, the one who's created everything, the most holy God. Loves you with a with type of ferocious passion that led his son to dying in your place and resurrecting back to life. God loves you this morning. I truly believe that if we would rehearse that reality not just on Easter Sunday but every day of our lives that would move us out of hiding our sin. That would move us out of trying to cover up our sin and just being honest and open because we know that Jesus has the victory, that Jesus has defeated our enemy. He has defeated our sin. He's defeated death. And so because of that reality, we can bring that before our God and ask for grace, ask for mercy, and he will meet us there. The reality is is that Christianity is not a promise to enjoy life without pain. It's not a promise of having a shortcut through pain. But Christianity is a promise that pain, sorrow, and sin will not swallow us up. It will not define us. It will not destroy us. Because of Jesus' victory on the cross, so do we who are in Christ. We have that same victory because of what Jesus has done, and so we have this victory through Jesus. Not only that, but we have the ultimate goal—the ultimate goal of the resurrection. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. I'm actually going to put on the screen translation that uh, of the NLT that I thought flowed better, and so it reads this way: It says, "For the Scriptures say, God has put all things under His authority." Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Did you catch the ultimate goal of the resurrection there? That the ultimate goal is for God to be utterly supreme over everything, over everyone, everywhere, including our lives. That God will one day have every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he will be supreme over it all. That's what the resurrection accomplished. That's what the resurrection created, this future reality of God being supreme I love how this commentary put it this way. Gordon Fee says, nothing lies outside God's redemptive purposes in Christ that at the death of death, the final rupture in the universe will be healed and God alone will rule over all beings, banishing those who have rejected his offer of life and lovingly governing all those who by grace have entered into God's rest. Love how he put that, just the end goal of the resurrection is God will put all things under his authority once and for all. That the victory that Jesus provided through his resurrection allows this goal to be fully realized, that God will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. That's the point of the resurrection, that yes, every knee will bow, every tongue will will confess that Jesus is Lord. And yet what Paul is driving at is that you can either confess that today and in this life and have God be your friend, or you can wait for the future. Well, you will confess that, but not to a God who is your friend, but to a God who is your judge and who is your enemy. So what does this mean for us today? What, what, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us today in the present? How how can Resurrection Sunday actually impact our Mondays? How can the resurrection actually impact how we live today? Well, I, I would argue that if we rightly understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will lead us. To living a life of submission to God, every area, every arena of our life, just submitting ourselves to God, surrendering it to Him, and allowing God to have full access to everything. That God will be able to speak into how you are as a parent, how you are as a spouse, how you are as a roommate and as a friend. That God will be able to speak into and direct you how you are at the workplace how you are to spend your money and your time, what you look at on the computer, your relationship with sin, all of that is reconfigured when we rightly understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ because God is supreme over all things. Our lives must fall into that same order. And So how about you this morning? Does that describe you today? where you have submitted and you have surrendered your life to God Almighty? That Have you had that moment where you have transferred your faith and your trust away from yourself and upon the finished work of Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Or is is the resurrection of Jesus Christ just some abstract event that happened 2,000 years ago that has no weight upon your life today? And maybe you're here today and you're, and you're wondering. You're thinking, okay, Chris, I, I see the beauty of Jesus. I see the, the, the magnificent worth of Christ and what he's done, and, and I'm tired of hiding. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm, I'm tired of hiding my sin. I've got all this shame and all this guilt. I'm tired of, of masking it with my own career or my own life. I, I want Jesus, I want forgiveness, I want grace. I would just encourage you that as we look to closing our service today, to place your faith, place your trust, everything that you are, and throw yourself upon Christ today. Because the reality is, is that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed this afternoon. And so why not today to trust and trust alone in Jesus Christ? Don't trust in your good works. Don't think that your good will outweigh your bad because God's standard of perfection is is perfection. That's the only thing that God will accept. And so when you place your faith upon Jesus, his righteousness and his perfection is transferred to your accounts. It's that great exchange. You give your sin to Jesus. And he gives you his righteousness. So God looks at you and he accepts you and he loves you and he gives you the forgiveness of your sins that we all need and that we all long for. So in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a couple more songs this morning, just giving praise for what God has done. And and I just want to encourage you that as, as we sing this morning, that if you're not a Christian today, to just consider transferring your faith over to Jesus. And, and I'll be down here in the front after we close out the service. I would love to talk with you. I would love to, to pray with you and, and, and answer any question that you might have about what it means to be a Christian. And for those of us who are believers, who have transferred our faith upon Jesus, I just want you to wrestle with, is there an area of your life that God does not have full access yet? Is there an arena of your life where where you're still ruling and Jesus isn't? And just to surrender that to him this morning as we sing. So let's pray together. God, we do give you praise. We give you thanks for being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has purchased our freedom God, the one who on the cross and in your resurrection defeated our foes. Lord, we do give you thanks that there is no more wrath left. And so I do pray, God, that you would impress on our hearts, God, that reality that would drive us to worship. And God, I pray specifically for those who are here today, who are just wandering spiritually, who have not made that decision to trust in you. God, would you save them today? God, would you open them their blind eyes, to seeing Jesus, give them faith, to trust in you. God, help them to respond to the gift of salvation that is through faith and grace alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.